0: How's it going? Good. You guys have your Bibles? Let's go to Romans chapter 12. And if you guys would uh, join me in prayer, that'd be great. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, God. acknowledging just our inability to be righteous before you lord um so often i'm reminded lord that um, i can be eloquent i can uh, just speak in pop culture terms i can do so many things lord but yet unless you come and you um, just open our eyes and give us understanding lord um, we are blind So, Father, I'm just asking that you would be with us tonight in this study, Lord, as we just look at the implications of um, this just mystery that is the gospel and your love for your people. Lord, we just ask that we would grow in our sanctification, Lord, and becoming like Christ, Lord, that we would um, just hate the things that you hate more, that we would love you just more, Father. Um, and Father, may we just be looking forward to that day that um, you return and call us home, Lord. So it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So tonight I was asked to teach Romans 12 to you guys, and it's kind of it's one of those, uh, you know, every pastor or teacher says, oh, you get this passage, and you get this amount of time, and i always like, oh, there's so much to unpack. Um, so I'm going to do my best to unpack to you um, the whole chapter of Romans tonight. But uh, before we get there, there's, there's so much we need to understand before we get to Romans 12, because Paul starts it out with, therefore. And if we don't understand what he's referencing when he says, therefore, then we're going to have a hard time understanding the implications of scripture and and what god wants us to do and what our correct response should be to that so i thought it'd be profitable since we're coming back to from a little break just to do a, a short summary but something that's important to remember when we're studying romans is is paul makes this statement at the beginnings of romans 1 16 through 18 he says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes To the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul is making this argument throughout Romans that what is this gospel? What is this power that will bring salvation to all men? And so he starts out in chapter one saying, all men know that there is a God. And it's so important when we, when we approach scripture, and, and I, every time I get an opportunity to speak to your age group, there's just a couple things I want to pound in your head. Because right now you should think about your life as you're in training. You're about to go to war. And boot camp is very similar uh, to life in some ways in this stage, I think, because there's a lot of things you're learning right now that will be practical and will be helpful. And we'll do everything we can to prepare you for life as an adult. But you also need to know that when you leave and graduate, for some of you in a year, the world will hit you with everything it has. It'll try to convince you not to believe, to walk away. And you shouldn't have any confidence in your own flesh that you'll be strong enough to face the temptations of the world. I've seen far too many people walk away from their faith. People who I would say were strong Christians and yet they graduate, they go off to school and they are tempted by the things of the world, and they start loving the things of the world, and in that they forsake their first love. And so you need to have a presupposition and, and be culture growing this presupposition in your life. That God's word is true and the ultimate authority. And you should always be asking yourself, what does scripture have to say? And then from that, am I submitting my life fully to what scripture says? And if we do that, I truly think that we will be changed. And so Paul starts out with a bold statement and says, all men know God. Do we believe that? But yet in chapter two, he follows up and says, hey, God is righteous. Well, What's the problem with that? Chapter three. There is none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks God. No one understands. And so we see all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet we find out the gospel that all will be justified in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation And so Paul continues to unpack the argument that we will be saved by faith. And he gives the example of Abraham and walks through that. And then, chapter 5, he's showing how through Christ all men have life now. Just as with Adam all men died, so with Jesus Christ all men will live if we repent and believe. And so he keeps unpacking chapter 7 that we are no longer a slave to the law, but we are a slave to Christ. And then chapter 8, we are alive in the Spirit. And if we are alive in the Spirit, then there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we see that God is sovereignly in control of all things. And then Paul throws along in chapter 10 that the need for the gospel to still be proclaimed, even in this sovereignty. And then he starts unpacking the gospel throughout history because we don't just believe the New Testament, we believe the Old Testament. And so he talks about how Israel was the main means of this gospel coming. But now the gospel has been opened to the Gentiles. And yet the Jews have rejected this truth. And so for a time, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. But God promises that he will save a remnant of Israel. And warns us that we should be careful how we walk, because if we are not, how much easier will it be for us to fall away as Israel did? And then that gets us to chapter 12. Let's uh, read Romans. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, and then we get to chapter 12, which says, therefore, there's uh, therefore, because of the mercies of God, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. See, what, what we see here, guys, is this whole message is so much more than uh, about you. We have a, a very you centered culture, right? We'll say, hey, this is about you. This is about you. And yet what scripture is saying is it's so much more. There's so much more at stake than, than just salvation here in, in this thing we call the gospel. It's about glory. It's about honor. It's about the kingdom of God. But it's God. It's God's honor is in question. God's kingdom is in question. You say, why? You see, the gospel, the problem is, how can a good God forgive sinners like us? Okay, Uh, Exodus 34, put it this way. God passes before Moses and says, The Lord is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, but who will by no means clear the guilty party. And we see a problem because throughout history, God has forgiven guilty men. And you see the big problem, what we call the divine dilemma, is that God cannot be good and forgive unrighteous men. And so you see what is at stake here is not merely your salvation, but it is the character of God. But then Christ comes and Christ pays the penalty that was due us. And in that moment, God pours out the justice that was due you and I. And yet God also proves that his name is true and good. And in the same moment, he is the just and the justifier of wicked men. And if you're just able to snatch just an ounce, like, like... Every time I prep for this, I always get frustrated because it's just like, I can't put emotions on you. I, I can't get you excited about this. But yet, if you get this, if you understand this, it all comes along. We have to understand the beauty of the gospel. We have to understand these things. And it is this wonderful mystery that is the gospel that Paul is worshiping in his doxology at the end of chapter 11, verses 32 through uh, 37, which says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unmeasurable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor who has ever given to God. That he should repay them for, uh, for from him and through him and for him all things to him be glory forever and ever. What's his point? Who has given counsel to God? No one. Who can give him wisdom? No one. Who can repay him? No one. And yet, like, what the gospel is, like, what you need to understand is, like, before the creation of the earth, God promised to his son a people that would be zealous for his name. And yet, and you're it. Like, there's one song that puts it this way. The theme of heaven's praises, who robed himself in frail humanity. That even in our longing and our darkness, now the light of light has come, bringing many sons to glory. Come behold the wondrous mystery. Never sin or trace of sin. Christ the Lord upon a tree. Guys, do you see what's happening? Like, do you realize that there's no reason God needed you? There's no part of the gospel that... God was inclined to to put on frail humanity. He didn't need to come and and live among us. He didn't need to come and suffer. In the garden, he didn't need to drink the cup. He didn't need to stay on the cross. He could have called at any time. And yet, for God's glory, he stood on that cross. For you and I. And he rose again. What more can we do after hearing such a wonderful message? Because when you look at him and then you look at yourself, you realize there's absolutely no reason he had to do any of this for you and me. And it brings you to weep because, you know, he's not like us. And it was only because of himself. That you will be able to gaze on his face. And yet the glory that is to come, Revelation 22, 3 through 5, it says this. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb of the Lamb will be in it. And all his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. This is the only power we have, brothers and sisters. This is the only thing that will save. This is the only thing that will make us righteous before God is Christ and his righteousness. And as we get to Romans 12, that is what Paul is now going to argue. That because of these mercies, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice to him with our worship. To proclaim that those around us, that Christ is the greatest worth. And so now, look in your Bibles at Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Why? Why should we... Give our whole bodies as a living sacrifice to him. One thing I want to note about sacrifice is uh, the way I think the dictionary defines it. Is sacrifice is an act of giving something of value for the sake of something else regarded as greater value. Okay? But the thing about a sacrifice is you're not going to get it back. Okay? God, when he required a sacrifice of the Israelites, it was to offer their best lamb and they weren't getting it back because Baba was getting killed. Okay. But yet God is saying, take your life now, your whole life, and offer it up to me. Why? Because this great grace he has given you is worthy of nothing less than your life. Think about like a child. Um, who a lot of you like, you know, think about your dad. He asks you to wash the dishes. The least you can do is wash the dishes because he's changed your diapers. He's fed you. He's raised you. He's given you everything you have, not because of anything you've done. And so the least you can do out of a response of love to him is do the dishes. And yet you see how the gospel is our motivator for walking in this. Like it's Christ's love that motivates us to give our lives as a living sacrifice. Yeah, so often I think we do uh, one, uh, two, two things. Okay? One, we don't even bother. Okay? We say, I, I, I like the things of this world. I'd, I'd rather not. So I'm not going to. Right, And we go do whatever we want. And we don't consider the lordship of Christ the second thing I think we try to do is we try to white knuckle it. We take spiritual worship, but we forget about the mercies of God that he's given us. And we buy into the lie that we need to do righteousness to appease God. And not to please him. And so when we try to walk in that and we're trying to please him, we grow tired. Why? Because we're not abiding in Christ. You know, think about, like, spiritual men in your life and women who did great things, martyrs. You know, I think of David Brainerd and Hudson Taylor, missionaries who went to other countries or went to really remote areas and just suffered. And um, one preacher had asked this question, and I think it's worth thinking on, is do we really think it was their discipline that kept them there? Were they really just so pious that they just toughed it out in China and dying of sickness in the wilderness. No, it, the love of God is what constrained them. You know, take a, take a husband who's a really good husband. Maybe he's not really a good husband. Maybe he's just an average husband. But maybe his wife is an exceptional wife. Who loves him much and takes care of him much and is gracious to him. And that's what propels him. He wants to do better. He wants to serve his wife. He wants to love his wife well. And so that's what propels him. Well, it's the same with our response to Christ. None of us here are exceptional people. In fact, we're all average, if not a little bit below average. And yet we look to the mercies of God, we look to Christ, and we see the love with which he loved us, and we're transformed. And so Paul will continue then and say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Couple things I want to note. The world is trying to conform us. And so we must submit to something. We must discipline ourselves in walking in the mercies of God. Okay? Yet we are not called to be conformed to this world, but we're called to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. And so that's what I was speaking to when we first started that if God says something, it must be so. For example, if God says all have sinned, then I guess all have sinned. That is true. <laughs> if Jesus says he is the bread of life and the fount of living waters, and that all that come to him will be satisfied, then if I'm not satisfied in him, the problem isn't God's promise or his words, but it must be with me. And I need to recalibrate my thinking. And again, why do we do this? Because of the mercies of God, we recalibrate our thinking. 2 Corinthians 3.18 would put it this way. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So again, like we, we see, guys, this this transformation, guys, is, is, is not, what I'm not saying, what you do not need to do, and where I think so many of us go wrong, especially living in Tehachapi, a, a culturally Christian city, is that we go, oh man, I really need to do this, I 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 don't need to do this, I don't need to do this. If I don't do all these things and keep this checklist, then I'll be right before God. And that is not true. No, we look to Christ and we are transformed because we love him. We love the things he loves and we hate the things he hates. And that's how we are transformed. So what does this living sacrifice look like? Verse three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members The one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. What's Paul saying here? What does this life look like? Well, he's saying it's service in the church, right? So if we've truly been saved in Christ, we are now a part of his body, and we are a member of it. It's a really good example. So take the fastest guy. I like this example. Take the fastest guy in here, okay? He can run a pretty quick time, okay? But what happens if you take his leg away? Pretty much everyone could beat him at that point. Okay, well, it's the same with the body of Christ. We're many members, yet if one member isn't doing his job, the church is going to fall apart. Like, I, I really like how Paul in verse 6 says, let us use them. So guys, it doesn't matter what you're gifted with. Use your gift. Use the gift God has given you as a, because of the mercies of God. Use it. Hey, if you're a generous person, be generous. Okay. Um, if you like to teach, teach. Okay. So often, here's what I think we do. I think it's so important that we keep this in mind. We don't have time, but consider Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through thirty. Jesus gives a parable about servants and talents, and it gives the example of a master who goes away. To each one, he gives a different amount. And the point of Jesus' parable isn't that we, you know, double our money. No, it's that we're faithful with what God's given us. And that's what we'll be judged by, guys, is are we faithful before God with what he's given us? We're not supposed to compare our, our giftings. Here's what we do a lot is, oh, well, I'm not gifted like Zach is, so therefore I'm not going to try because I'm not as gifted. No. God's not going to judge you off of what Zach does. He's going to judge you off of what you do. So do the best you can. Be diligent in stewarding what God has given you. Find out what your gifts are and use them. Okay. Now let's continue to... Verse nine. So what does a life of living sacrifice like? It's it's serving in the church, but then it's also gonna have certain attributes, okay? Some certain markings. And it's important we, we examine these things and again, guys, if if things are not true in scripture in your own lives, don't just walk away from them. Okay? Ask yourself, is this a reality in my life? Is there fruit in my life that I'm actually changing? Is there evidence that the Spirit of God is living in me? And if there's not, maybe it's because the Spirit of God isn't living in you. But I think one of the best things we can have is assurance of our salvation, is it not? Because then we can walk in confidence, okay? But we need to figure that out, okay? So, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Guys, we love because He first loved us. Again, it goes back to the mercies of God. We don't love because, oh man, we're gonna look good loving other people. We're not gonna love because, oh, He's having a bad day. No, our primary reason is because He first loved us. Okay. Verse ten, b. Outdo one another in showing honor. Okay, basically, what He's saying there is, be. Be the first one to encourage someone, okay? It's kind of how the, from what people have told me, the Greek is saying there is, hey, be the first one to go encourage. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Hey, if someone needs help, don't just wait there and be like, oh, I wonder if someone's gonna help. Don't pull your phone out and take a video. Go help them, okay? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Guys, be patient in tribulation. The mercies of God should affect this, right? Because what did Paul just say in Romans 8? That he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if the day comes that you're thrown in jail, tortured, killed, your kids are shot in front of you, take your darkest memory and know that the grace of God will be there. And that's for your good. Guys, like that's where, again, think through these things now. You guys have a weird face when I say those things, but do you realize that's the reality for most Christians outside of this country? That following Christ means they're going to be living on the street, that they'll be killed, that they'll be forgotten. But yet to have faith that Christ's work on the cross Has sanctified all those things so that it's working for your good. That it is a refining fire. And that it's making your salvation more precious than gold. Do you believe that? You should. Because that's what the gospel is calling you to believe. Verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. (laughs) Again, guys, bless those who persecute you. This will only happen if we're changed, if we're regenerated. But yet so often I think we even like just again, I think about our culture. Are we influenced more by our culture or by the word of God? Because a lot of times we're like, oh, man, I need to retaliate. But yet you think of Christ, who if anyone had a reason to retaliate, it was him. If anyone had a reason to call three legions of angels to wipe out the guys who are arresting him, it was him. And yet, no, he endured. He trusted the promises of God and knew that God will judge them. I think as believers, too, we need to realize this. Okay? And this is how I think relating back to the mercies of God. If one of those people is becomes your brother in Christ because of the the way you reacted, then what you're saying by faith is that God's judgment on Christ was sufficient. And you can forgive him too. Okay? It all relates back to Christ. It really does. And then it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. What's the point? Live, live at a level that you're pouring yourself out as a drink offering to those around you, okay? Like, actually love people to a point that it's costing you. Again, why can you do that? Because of the mercies of God. Because Christ did that with you. And so therefore, you can do that with others. So don't be afraid to be taken advantage of, okay? Expect people to take advantage of you. Because Jesus said they will take advantage of you. They will hate you for my name, okay? Just expect that. And that's okay because of the mercies of God. Verse 16. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Guys, humility. (laughs) Again, think about how much the culture influences us. Like we sing that song, I'm proud to be an American. We have gay pride month. Pride is a good thing in our culture. And yet God says, I will oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. Is that a reality in your life? Or is that something you haven't thought through? our goal as Christians is to be humble, faithful servants before God. And so we look at Christ who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself to be a servant. And we follow his example. Okay, And we don't repay evil for evil. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it. To the wrath of God, for as it is written, "Vengeance is mine; I will repay," says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him; if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you he will heat burning coals on his head. Guys, again, the mercies of God. We consider him who, while we were still sinners, he died for us. And it'd be hypocritical for us to hate our enemies then we'd be denying the gospel would it not and so because of that we love our enemies so guys in conclusion i'll I'll wrap it up um and i know tonight i've been a little monotone and sorry for that um but i want you guys to know this this does all matter guys giving our lives as sacrifices does matter and you should pursue it with zeal So I'll I'll end with this little short story. Um, In 1979, there was a man named Martin Truptow who was serving in Europe during the first world war and was killed in action. And on his body under the heading, my pledge were written these words, America must win this war. Therefore I will work, I will save, I will sacrifice, I will endure. I'll fight cheerfully. And do my uttermost as if the issue of the whole struggle depended on me alone. So guys, what's the Christian response to this This as a living sacrifice to God? Because we don't consider the present sufferings to be worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Therefore, by the mercies of God, we present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. And I would ask you guys this question. Do we not have a greater cause to offer our lives as a living sacrifice in the Christian walk than Martin Treptel? He worked for a kingdom that is fading. We work for a kingdom that will have no end. He strove to save lives that were temporary. We strive to save lives for eternity. He sacrificed for the temporal glory of the United States. We sacrifice for the unfading glory of God. Why do we do these things? Because only the name of Christ is worthy of all glory and honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. Guys, this is why we give our lives as living sacrifices, because he is worthy. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight. Lord, I pray that your word would just dwell in us deeply, Lord, and would, would grow in us. Father, thank you for um, your son and the work he's done. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, okay so we're going to move into our small group time. Um,